What would it mean for you to be truly visible? Visibility School is coming. Join us, www.visibility.school. It's time. I'm Kim Cutable, an author, producer, and entrepreneur. Voice Lessons is a podcast about women's lives, what, why, and how they create, and the way that they lead. Erica Mackey is a mom on a mission. While she was pregnant, she realized that in order to get into a good daycare program, she would have to get on the wait list before her child was even born. So with her co-founder, Elizabeth Zemanski, the serial entrepreneur conceived of the idea for My Village. It's a community-driven childcare solution that franchises the living rooms of caretakers to give young families the quality affordable childcare that they need and childcare entrepreneurs the business tools that they need to grow and profit from running their own businesses. The goal? Put kids and families first and reinvent the way childcare is prioritized and delivered in America. I'm Erica Mackey, and this is a lesson on self-assurance. What is your earliest memory of being creative? Honestly, it's probably around my interactions with animals, of all things. Um, so we grew up in Huntington Beach, and it wasn't on, until I was about 10 where I moved between South Africa and California. So I had a, a bit of a weird start straddling both places. But around kindergarten memories, my it was a public school that I went to. And we had a farm on the school in the middle of urban Huntington Beach. And my family took care of it. And I remember there was neighbors all around the farm and, and my in the middle of a, you know, like a normal cul-de-sac style neighborhood. <laughs> and so my job was to catch all the baby bunnies before they broke into people's <laughs> neighborhoods <laughs> and into their gardens. And so I had to get incredibly creative about how one little five-year-old could catch all these baby bunnies running in all directions on like, you know, two acres of land <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying to stop them from burrowing under fences. And uh, I remember just thinking every day was a new challenge and they outsmarted me and trying to think through new ways to come up with making sure that we didn't make any of the neighbors upset. <laughs> so bunny wrangler. Bunny Wrangler is your first, was your first job, which I love that. And it's so <laughs> wonderful. It, I, it's a relevant question for you in the context of this conversation, but was your mom a stay-at-home mom or did she work? She was a stay-at-home mom. She did a ton of volunteering. A lot of my memory, while it wasn't a formal you know, care situation where she was caring for money for other kids, our house was always the one that everybody was at when other parents worked and needed gap times covered that we always had all the strays at our place all the time. That level of presence that I certainly 
at, you know, at the time value, but took for granted in some ways. And now seeing society's changed in a lot of ways where that, that luxury of it, that being an option isn't, isn't so prevalent for so many young families. From my parents' generation to my generation, it's increased 70% adjusted for inflation, the cost of childcare. Tell me about my village and the moment that the idea came into your mind. So my village is a business that we basically are trying to tackle the childcare crisis. And these days crisis is a a loaded word, but you know, it's in a, in a place where you have to get on a wait list before you start thinking about conceiving. So you avoid feeling like you're failing as a parent, as you start to enroll your child in childcare. It just felt like all of the incentives, all of the dynamics were so broken. My previous business to this, I built a a solar uh, energy. So solar as a service, basically a business in Africa. And I was there 12 years. And so I brought my six week old back to back to Africa and was a working mom. We were launching in West Africa. I was in every major capital city around the world. So we manufactured in Asia, had strategics in Europe. Tesla was an investor um, oh, so okay. we had R&D office in San Francisco. So I'd literally land in all these places for short-term need, trying to find childcare for, and, and be, you know, functioning in my, in my job. And it was so mind blowing how it was challenging in every culture. So when you just had the internet and the few people you were going to meet and, you know, and I knew my needs were weird, but that's where I started logging <laughs> as an entrepreneur like, why is this hard everywhere? Like nowhere seems to have this figured out. Um, and then that led me on this long journey of, you know, talking to first peers and then hundreds of different families across all the different you know, income levels and state boundaries in the states and led me back to realize how incredibly painful it is to be a young working family in the United States these days. So you started My Village. So what's the concept? So the concept is... We make it easy to start and successfully run a home-based childcare business, and then we make it fun and rewarding for families to find and engage with those businesses. So we, in essence, are, are building out high-quality supply and anchoring it on home-based programs because they're small, they have continuity of care between zero and five, and they're ultimately better economics. So they're the most affordable option on the market to start with, and then with connection to world-class resources and a, a supportive network and, you know, benefits of economy of scale, we can really provide a, you know, five-star experience for kids in care and help people, mostly women, run phenomenal home-based businesses at the same time. Yeah. You provide them with a website. You provide them with the means to bill. You also create a curriculum. Yeah, so we first started actually just using curriculum that was available. So we partnered with the Harvard Center for Developing Child, and they helped vet out, you know, 10 evidence-based child-led curriculum that we were, so everything from ones that you've probably heard of from Reggio to Montessori, all the way through to some more prescriptive creative curriculum, Funshine that that had been vetted for those same, same principles. But what we found is that because we were supporting educators for the most part who were doing this for the very first time they really wanted to be in the experience together with every with all the other educators so having choice was way less important to them so we're using a lot of principles that are out there around child-centered 
child-led play-based programming, but are doing it in a way that we really help people thrive in their first six to 12 months of running a home-based business. And you're in Montana and Colorado at the moment. Correct. With plans to scale to other cities, how rapidly is that happening and what are the challenges in going into other markets? So we, that probably by the end of this year, you'll see us in new markets. We really wanted to make sure that we were understanding the dynamics of saturation, which is why we ring fenced into our two markets. Obviously, there's not a ton of people in Montana, but it has a pretty <laughs> diverse economic landscape from a socioeconomic background. And so, and then Colorado obviously has the Denver environment. And so for us, that's what this last year was about. Like, how do we create a really powerful on the ground community that supports each other? And what does that life cycle look like? And now as we're looking forward, it's not a ton of barrier to expand except for just making sure each state has its own slightly different regulatory system to work within and our business models of franchise. So we work within, we actually franchise people's living rooms, kitchens, backyards (laughs) in a very non cookie cutter way. We are working within that, the franchise regulatory system. And then also within the early childhood regulatory system. So those are the, the two pieces that need to be adapted to each state. I love some of the values that you had be, be proud and humble, be the rock. Those were two that stood out to me as quite different. And I'm curious where they came from. And I I have this thing with humility because I feel like it becomes a bit of an ego thing in a way to be falsely humble when (laughs) you should be in fact proud or not, not should be, but that you, the truth of your accomplishments speak for themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. The be proud, be humble. I mean, my entire existence and certainly my my professional career, I have succeeded because I've been obsessed with feedback. And I was certainly the type of person where in the beginning, you know, I'd get a performance review and anything that was an area of of critical or, or area of improvement, it would sit with me overnight. And, but over the years, because I truly leaned into it and it became an obsession and I have, you know, Every company that I've built, it's been such a core part of our DNA is who we work as a team, how we engage with our customers, and really have created a culture where almost every single interaction is about almost 50-50 split in terms of what's going well and areas to improve, that it was really important to embed that and stating out front, this is who we are and this is going to be part of the experience. And then I think the other side of it is on the Be Humble is we really come from a place of service and we are serving people who have a very different daily to what our headquarters team has sometimes and serving rural communities that have a very different daily to our urban communities. And so really making sure that we're coming at every conversation ready for the opportunity to learn as much as we are ready for the opportunity to to give some support. And that sentiment around Be The Rock Like you have to care for yourself. You have to be self-assured. You have to be able to be the rock for others before you can be a good caregiver. I love what you say in your marketing. The way it is isn't the way it has to be. And that's a lot of, I think, what a wonderful entrepreneur, a good entrepreneur lives by. You say your mom's on a mission who want to create a higher standard of care. So what would the new standard of care include? 
the trifecta we were going for was availability, affordability, and quality. And having those three things, which most families had to compromise in one area or the other, you couldn't have all three unless you got on that wait list before you were pregnant. What we're really anchoring on is this the, the sentiment of continuity of care where you're having, a, in essence, a co-parenting partner during that early zero to five timeframe where you are both committed to the, the best possible outcomes for the child and that you're fluidly picking up where the other left off throughout the week and that, you know, and, and reinforcing each other's knowledge around the child. We're seeing so many more women right in this moment. I think of Yacinda Arden, who brings her baby to the UN General Assembly for the first time ever, right? Who's out there breastfeeding. Finland's female prime minister, who's the youngest female prime minister in the world. She posts selfies breastfeeding and she posts on Facebook her pasta recipes and things like this. And then Tammy Duckworth, I don't know if you saw the quote the other day, but she she got caught on her Zoom call saying, you know, you're going potty, mommy will be there in a second. Like so they, she told it to the whole Democratic caucus, which I thought was hilarious. And I, I personally, I love this because I feel like children, wherever human beings go, children should be able to go. Do you think that you see opportunities for you to create legislative change in terms of the work you're doing. Personally, I, I look at the conversation around taxes and why aren't childcare providers able to be written off in the same way that other employees right. are, right? As moms go to work, I think we need to see some broad cultural shifts. And I think, you know, women in, in policy at the policy level can make those changes. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree. And just just to add to the, just those really the role models that are breaking breaking the mold in that way, I think it's so important. I would do that. I would breastfeed while doing an investor meeting on Zoom. Oh, <laughs> I, was, I love like, it. Yes, you know. Okay. And Good. I, we had, and it's always been our team. Always has kids jumping in and out of calls and. Our community calls with our educators, especially during this time, we've been doing one every Sunday evening. It's just very fluid. And it, I mean, it like that boundary between personal and professional, as you started the framing, it, it, it you can't be the best and exclude the other side. So it like figuring out how those both of those pieces can be fluid and also define who you are in a positive way is so important. So I, I'm 100% 150% behind that. And I do think from a policy side, yeah, there it's role modeling and and policy is really the the two areas that I think will have the biggest impact. I have a a son and I have a doula and I work from home and so and all my a lot of my clients do as well. So we have the children running into Zoom calls the other day I was on a Zoom call a child vomited in the background. Mom had to go, right? Yeah. But it is it does take up a lot of my income and I'm fine with it. I I believe in the quality of care. At the same time, I'm angry that it is not supported. We're still having this conversation in the United States, strangely, about women who work and should women be allowed to work and you should be allowed, you should be at home with your, your children. And there's still this kind of unconscious bias and this push-pull a lot of the time still between moms who work and moms who don't about what is best for children. And so I think until we can 
be honest about that, I don't know how we'll make the policy changes because we'll always have this force pushing back saying that moms who work are not truly caring for their children, which is actually quite the opposite. I am very hopeful, though, and with ex the experience that we've had over this last year, particularly working in policy, I am very hopeful that that conversation at a bipartisan level is is shifting. There's certainly, you know, much more entrenched kind of local mentalities that we're seeing that reflects that the perspective of, you know, childcare is not important because it's something that shouldn't be happening in the first place. We're seeing less and less of that. And we've passed through the Senate in Colorado, a bill basically that makes it illegal for HOAs to block uh, licensed child cares in their neighborhoods. And right. what was fascinating and, you know, the, the landscape in Colorado is very bipartisan. And we had, we were pretty much unanimous. It was with one vote against us. And most people were saying, you know, like, how can you not vote for children? Mm. And so I do think that this sentiment is changing. And I think, you know, in the world that we're in now where unemployment is going to be a, a major issue and flexibility around employment and mm -hmm. trying to make all of the puzzle pieces work in a way that don't, you know, doesn't make a family insane is it's going to have to be forefront in, in the political conversation. And so you are working at the policy level. We are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, and that wasn't necessarily something that we, again, focusing on the the why, not the how, not that we didn't uh, see in the beginning as so fundamental of, of where we were getting started. We knew we would get there. But what we found, particularly focusing with home-based entrepreneurs and home-based early educators, their voice wasn't heard anywhere. Yes. It's been a good 20 mile march since, since that point. <laughs> so I, I want to leave the tax. In fact, I'm happy to mobilize my force. <laughs> I'd like to leave the tax problem with you. <laughs> Great. And I'm happy to be a voice for that. I, I really do believe that it is discriminatory not yeah. to allow people to write off those expenses when you allow them to write off other things that are so ridiculous. You look at Scandinavian countries and th that kind of home-based neighborhood support system is such an important part of also, you know, a dual working household. Everybody, everybody works. Everyone has a, a care center in their neighborhood that they all are very much an extended family connected to. And it's supported through policy and government financial support. I think that that is inevitably going to have to be the, the path of the United States. You know, one of the, the stats is 20% is now basically what the government has said. We really need to keep childcare under 20% of the household income. I mean, imagine, uh, imagine uh, <laughs> that that's what good looks like right now. Uh. So I'm curious what happened to the solar business? So I built that business over seven years. So I was COO and built a thousand person team. I mean, we, we raised about 250 million over the course while I was there to scale the business installed. At the point that I moved back to the States, we were installing about 10,000 houses a month and, you know, like serving more than a million Africans across many countries. You talked about raising $200 million. For this business, you've received VC investments of $6 million in a field where last year's record high for investment in women in business overall was just 
So how did you pull that off? Uh, a lot of it is a focus on solving important problems. And I think that's where a lot of my confidence as an entrepreneur, you know, how you present the opportunity, how you work your way through your network to get to the right conversations at the right time, and how clear your pitch is to actually close investment, I think all starts with the fact that you have conviction around the problem you're trying to solve, that it's a huge problem, and that you truly understand that individual that was true in both of my businesses getting started with in essence a powerpoint presentation <laughs> when you're going out and just selling it's it's a lot about your vision and your confidence and being able to be a phenomenal storyteller up front when you have no idea if what you're selling is going to actually materialize in the way that you're putting it forward but having a strong conviction to the problem and a true deep passion for wanting to solve it, I think is always been a successful first step for me. Are your VCs men or women or both? Uh, my solar business was mostly men. In this one, it's both. But it's more both. more women, I would say, certainly more women on, on my board than I've had ever in the past. And how has how does that shift the way business is done or does it at all? I think that the shift, and this could be, I don't know the actual stats around this, but the I was very specific about picking impact investors. Impact investors are really mission aligned. So they're looking for double, triple bottom line business. Some of them are, you know, environment profit people focused. Some of them are just people profit focused. So they want to return, but they really understand that the best impact that can be made in a, in a society is usually in a really complex system. So they're a little bit more patient in the beginning to around time horizons and around profit mission trade-offs to allow businesses to solve really messy, big, important problems. We weren't sure exactly what the solution was going to be when we got started, but we knew we had a commitment to solving it for the average American family and we didn't want to be pushed upstream, you know, to a really high income customer base by other investors early. And so that was why we stuck with impact investors. It's so interesting, the confidence in the idea, but the commitment, it seems like the confidence is not even a question because you're so focused on solving the problem, as you said, that you don't even have time to get in your way, your own way. Does self-doubt ever creep in? And if yes, how, because, you know, if you've, if you've cult, developed the skill to accept feedback, which is yeah. often the worst thing for women, <laughs> you know, studies show that that's the, the thing that will knock us to our knees a lot of the time. Where do you find yourself feeling doubtful if ever, and how do you pick yourself up to continue? One thing that I've learned about myself this year, we did, our whole team has really committed to the strengths finder process. Yes. <laughs> and my number my number one uh, strength is self-assurance, <laughs> which may not be surprising, but I like, it's more of a, a place of leading from self-assurance, I think is what it comes from, where if I have doubt about the direction, it's anchored in a place where I'm sure we will get to a solution on the other side. And I, I do think that so much and of why? that- why? Can I just ask, why, do you, why are you so sure? a bunch of, of factors, but I think it starts and seeded with how I was raised in, 
an environment that it was, there was always a way there was always a path. It's obviously aligned with my personality to, to <laughs> be bullish and, and stubborn, but it was never, no, we can't do it. It was always sure. And this is what would be required, or this is the trade-off and this is how it would, you know, this is how we can make it happen. I think that, you know, that anchors my framing of, and has, has been an anchor for my framing of the world. And then I think, while I have been in a whole bunch of different sectors, that kind of entrepreneurial thread that has woven through has definitely reinforced that as long as you stay committed and you're super fluid in your vision of what good looks like, you know, from a delivery perspective, that uh, there's, there is always a way. So it's been really reinforced by experience, I think. We talk a lot about leadership in this podcast from a feminine perspective. I believe women lead differently. Do you believe that women lead differently? And if yes, would you be comfortable calling it feminine leadership? Yes, no, why, why not? I feel like there are trends about in general. I've seen really poor leadership in both genders. I've seen really strong leadership in both genders in general. And I, and I think this is true about me is I anchor from a place of listening first rather than dominating with my opinion. However, I do feel like my leadership is pretty balanced, especially in the solar space. I was anchored in such a male dominated world and also in an African culture. Mm -hmm. And so that like it created a lot of direct tendencies and a lot, you know, I, like I had to, I was always the odd one out in the room. And so I really had to earn my, my place and my voice in conversations as, as I was uh, building that business. And so I think that, that, that balance of listening first, but then the confidence and the directness maybe, and maybe it does anchor in the sense I, I'm a strong believer in radical candor. You've read that book? read that book I have yeah Yeah. (laughs) um, you know that sense of really caring and coming across as caring and then you can be direct and that's how like having those two those two angles meet in the middle is exactly where you can be most effective and I think feminine leadership often will make you much more successful in the connection and coming from a a good place coming from a a place of support uh, which then I think as long as you're delivering the directness uh, on the other on the other axes at the same time where you're really able to not get hung up by worrying so much about people, how, how it's going to land, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. where it's just coming from a true, honest place. I think that that women in general are much better at, at getting that balance. We talked a lot about female leadership, but I think what's been really fascinating in this particular business has been the support of female brand new entrepreneurs and helping not only build their confidence, but build their community, being able to understand, you know, you're on a fluid journey and that you are every day gaining back to the, you know, be proud, be humble concept that you're gaining new knowledge and that it's an, it's a never ending journey 
has been so incredibly empowering and inspirational to watch brand new entrepreneurs from all different backgrounds starting businesses, feeling proud about being business owners, even though it's terrifying. It's just incredible to see people come into their own power as their own boss, determining what their future is going to look like and feel like they're really in charge of that path. It is not what, you know, I got into this much more oriented around really trying to solve a, a childcare problem. And, you know, one of the beautiful supplementary motivations that, that really budded early in this was understanding, actually, this is about creating an army of small female entrepreneurs are going to change the world. That's the gift of staying out of the how is so many beautiful things unfold. So if I was going to ask you to complete the sentence, my wish for every other woman is... Follow your intuition and, and don't let your head overthink things. You have all of the answers when you ask the right questions. Be visible. Speak your truth. Every other woman needs you to lead. Voice Lessons is produced, written, and spoken by me, Kim Cutable. It's also produced and edited by Sergio Miranda and associate produced by Jessica Manalga. Our music was created by singer-songwriter Claire Hamill. You can find out when we post new episodes when you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And if you liked what you've heard, we would love it if you leave us a review. You can join our community at Facebook forward slash Voice Lessons Podcast to speak with me live after every episode is posted. And if you have a question or comment or want to suggest a guest, you can do it there. Or if you're on Instagram, tag us at Voice Lessons Podcast and use the hashtag LessonUp. For other inspiration, updates, and show notes, subscribe at VoiceLessonsPodcast.com.